Hello, I am Michelle Manuleke and the subject of this podcast is femicide and gender-based violence, especially in South Africa. Much of the violence we have experienced across history and now comes from the clash between rigid belief systems. So people with absolutist worldviews can easily become fierce when they are taken for granted truths are questioned or challenged. Anything that jeopardizes the boundaries of their beliefs becomes something fervently defended against. With fear as a trigger, because a different belief is perceived as a threat, violence becomes the catalyst to protect themselves. So now it is not a philosophical meta anymore. It, it becomes personal. In fact, very personal. In history and various religious beliefs, men have been viewed as the primary tool by which women are subjugated. So this belief system has been passed down through generations and it is still present today. Modern women are more aware of their right to be free from the patriarchal system. And the majority of the men who have lived in patriarchal societies view the rise of feminism as a threat to their masculinity. I personally believe this is the root cause of the widespread gender-based violence and femicide. And this dominates especially in traditional societies where change is not embraced like the norms of the past are. South Africa, also known as the femicide destination, has been the epicenter of domestic violence for the last two years. The Am I Next movement was introduced to help reduce domestic violence and since the start of that movement, countless women were in fact next. The signs held up by these fear-stricken women like stop killing us. In my country, it is easier to get raped than to get a job. I just want to feel safe. These signs seemed to only fuel the rage and violence of these perpetrators. Furthermore, the victims are critiqued by those who are supposed to help and support them with questions such as, what were you wearing? Did you not deliberately call for his attention? It is this kind of criticism that causes many victimized women to sit quietly Many of them suffer in silence because blame can be shifted to women very easily. And this instills a lot of fear in women in this country. I remember one of the first cases that were broadcasted on the news at the beginning of the pandemic, the rape and murder of Uyinene. The mother of the 19-year-old girl who was targeted at a post office said, and I quote, I'm sorry I warned you about other places, but not the post office. These heartbreaking words of a mother at a loss brought to light the fact that women in South Africa are not safe anywhere.
women, young and old, live in fear of every male they pass by on the street, sometimes even their own spouses. Joining me now is Becca Sorodi, an attorney who has dealt with femicide and gender-based violence in her area of work. Um, hello, Becca. Thank you very much for joining us. Um, I'd first like to ask you, um, what is your involvement in the justice system when dealing with gender-based violence and femicide? So what is your role? Okay. Uh, thank you for having me. I am an attorney by profession. And I, I think I firstly need to explain to you uh, the justice system when it comes to criminal matters such as gender-based violence and femicide. Okay. So when a charge has been laid, right, and the perpetrator is arrested and in custody, right, uh, the victim or the complainant is represented by a prosecutor. Okay. Always. That states, when they say state versus, perhaps, let me give you an, an example of your say name, state versus uh, Maluleke, Maluleke, which is you, uh, the, the accused. Then the person who's going to be represented by the state is the complainant. So every time when I'm involved in such cases, I am for the accused. Okay. Yes. So um, what, what exactly is your role? Like when it comes to representing the, the accused? Is okay, it in, rep in representing the accused? My role is to ensure that my client is given a fair trial mm -hmm. and I try to also show the state that they have not proven that my client is guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. Because remember that for a person to be criminally convicted, the state has to prove beyond a reasonable doubt, which is much harder than proving beyond uh, the preponderance of probabilities mm -hmm. in civil cases. Okay. Um, yes. So this is, this is a, a subject that stirs very strong emotions. So how is it for you as a woman in the justice system to be working so closely to, 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 such a, a, a strong matter, especially relating to women? Uh, Michelle, to be honest, that is very much, that is a very difficult question to answer. First of all, because I do not know whether I'm an attorney first or I'm a woman first, right? Yeah. Because first of all, as an attorney, we are not supposed to show emotions. And second of all, we are agents of instructions, meaning we take instructions from clients, right? Mm -hmm. That's all. I do not own my own firm. 
I'm trying to tell you that I get instructions from my employer to represent whoever, be it an accused. And more often than not, an accused who's indeed guilty of that crime he's charged with. Okay. Um, would you mind giving us an example of, you know, one of the cases that you've dealt with? No names required. Obviously, no names required because we have what we call attorney and client uh, privileges, meaning I cannot disclose the merits of, 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 of the cases and the names. Okay. Uh, one of the cases that I dealt with uh, involved... It was a family unit, a mother and a child, and this child stated that she was raped by her biological father. Okay. In this instance, this father has always been our client. And now that there's another matter that has, has arisen, of rape, we had to represent him because he has always been our client. And we couldn't just, you know, uh, not represent him because now the tables have turned and the matter is just not something that we would like to, you know, not deal with. So in this instances, I was obliged and I was instructed by my employer to represent that very client who was accused of rape by his own biological child. Okay, that that must have yes. been very difficult to deal with, especially as a woman. So just out of interest, do such cases ever make you question the career that you chose? Yes, most of the times I do, I do question uh, the career that I chose, especially when I find myself having to deal with cases that are very much against uh, my my morals and my principles as as a person. However, at the end of the day, I find myself having to comply and do what is required of me because I've signed an oath as an attorney to say that we will represent clients. And remember that sometimes you have clients who, have, who, who gives you instructions of different matters. And now you cannot just shove them away because today they've given you instruction to defend them in a rape case. Okay. Um, that doesn't sound pleasant at all. So, it, yes. Um, coming from the cases that you've dealt with, what would you yes. say are the common factors that perpetuate gender-based violence and femicide? Uh, what perpetuates uh, gender-based violence and femicide, first of all, is the lack of consequences. The lack of consequences, le uh, Michelle, emanating from our poor justice system. And second of all, 
the inability of the victims to go through and carry on with the matter till the end. First of all, because of how such cases makes you relieve, relieve the experience that you went through and the very experience that you'd like to forget. Mm-hmm. So such matters, you find that uh, victims withdraw, withdraw charges because they do not want to, to go through that. Because remember, when we are proving beyond a reasonable doubt, you get to a point where a victim, as the first witness, is cross cross her mind in the most I do not in, in the most cruel, you know, cruel manner. And with that happening, it means you have to go through whatever feelings that you went through when you were going through, you know, that unfortunate uh, incident. Okay. Um, yes. I mentioned uh, lack of consequences emanating from the withdrawal of charges, and I also mentioned uh, lack of consequences emanating from our poor justice system. Because remember, as a poor justice system, there is a chain, right? Mm-hmm. From the subsequent police services to the National Prosecuting uh, Authority. Now, the National Prosecuting Authority depends on the South African police services to gather the evidence, right? The investigating officer to gather the evidence and not let even the slightest thing slip. Because as I've already mentioned that proving beyond a reasonable doubt, it's much harder for criminal cases compared to uh, proving on the preponderance of probabilities in civil cases. So, if there is a slightest mistake or mishandling of evidence, you'd find that me as an attorney, I ask for what we call a discharge in terms of Section 174. A discharge means that if the state is not able to prove beyond reasonable doubt that my accused indeed committed this act, then he should be discharged. They say if there is no evidence upon which the state might might convict, then my accused need to be let off the hook. And you find that 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 mistake occurred from firstly handling the matter at the start, you know? Yes. And when it lands into the National Prosecuting Authority, it's a miscarriage of justice. Goodness. I mean... Having to work in in such a career where all the time you have to go against your moral codes and, and everything. I, I can't imagine how difficult it is. I was about to ask um, what your take is on our justice system, but you already answered that. What I would like to know is what you think would... What do you think needs to be improved? What needs to be improved is that we need the justice system to be diversified. Okay. In what way? From the bottom 
the top, meaning there must be more involvement of women. Yes, I have an understanding that mainly the the justice system is dominated by men, mostly. Yes, the justice system is dominated by men, and you'd find that sometimes they are not able to appreciate that at the effect of femicide and gender-based violence mm-hmm. because of, you know, unequal power struggles, gender struggles, you know. Yes. So they are not able to appreciate the effect and the depth of the crimes in question. Yes. All right. Um, after hearing what you had to say, I do believe that we need more women in the justice system as prosecutors and, you know, so that um, they can be the voice of the millions of women and children that are affected by this matter. Yes, children are also very much affected by uh, the subject in question. Wow. Um, and I, I, I do not know if you asked a questions, a question, but then you, you were breaking. I, I couldn't hear you. Oh no. Um, I don't have any more questions. Okay. Um, do you have any concluding statements? Uh, my, my, on a point of departure. Uh, I would say that we as women should support each other more in reporting such crimes. And understanding that women are, are in every family structures. I mean, we are needed for, for a family to grow. What I'm trying to say here is that when we have a situation of maybe gender-based violence. Try as much as you can to encourage the victim to report the matter to, to the South African Police Service and also follow through and ensure that they do not withdraw the matter. Yes. Because of other, you know, uh, other anomalies surrounding... Uh, surrounding... Um, the crime in itself. Yes. yes. Um, when there are cases withdrawn, what usually are are the reasons for for these case breaking. withdrawals? Pardon. Um. When when cases are withdrawn, uh, what usually are the reasons for 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 the withdrawal of these cases? Cases are withdrawn sometimes because uh, the accused have threatened the victim that, you know what, I'm going to kill your, your, your children, I'm going to kill your family, something of that nature. Sometimes they are withdrawn because you'd find that uh, the victim and the, and the perpetrator 
are in a relationship or are married. Yes. find that if such such a thing occur in a family, people prefer to discuss it uh, as a family rather than taking it to to the authorities. Okay. Which. Thank you very much, Becca, for joining us. You've definitely given us a lot of insight into what is what really goes on in in terms of justice when coming to such matters as gender-based violence and femicide. Thank you very much for joining me. Even with the violence against women that we all as a country witness, there are still people who believe that what women are fighting for is female dominance. So this backlash from people includes the promotion of this violence that we are fighting against. Focus has shifted from the matter at hand, which is violence against women, to matters I believe are of less importance, such as the lack of work opportunities, the arrest of a former president. The endangered lives of women in this country do not take precedence for everyone, or at least not as much as they should. It is very difficult to introduce change and get immediate results. The enforcement of women's rights is very aggressive at this point, and this aggression is not received well by parties that can make significant positive change, such as the South African Police Services. There seems to be a lack of skills and knowledge among police and other security actors. And overall, there is a demise of security personnel with the sound understanding of gender inequality and how this relates to abuse against women. Moreover, political will, leadership and involvement of authoritative figures is almost non-existent and it is needed to ensure that women's rights are upheld and violence against them is addressed. There are also minimal funding allocations for aiding gender-based violence victims. GBV and femicide must come to an end because we cannot have the majority of the country living in fear of being victimized. Not only does this cause social unrest, but it also causes major psychological issues for victims. South Africa and many other countries have been working towards gender equality. If there is no intervention in the GBV and femicide issue, it poses an obstacle to to achieving gender equality. GBV and femicide affect everyone. Children that witness it may form the impression that such behavior is normal and are brought up in a culture of violence which would turn GBV and femicide into a cycle. Jetna-based violence has been a national distress for decades now in South Africa. I find that raising awareness and educating individuals, both men and women, from different ages and backgrounds about what constitutes gender-based violence and the kind of impact it has on both the individual and society. Education can come from home, schools, community clinics, or even Sunday school or church. 
We just need to make a collective effort to heal our nation. Gender-based violence mostly affects women, but it's men committing these horrific crimes. Currently, much of the GBV movement involves women. We need more men to take initiative so that men can feel represented and heard. And therefore, could consider expressing themselves differently. Communities have protested time and time again, but it looks as though the number of femicide cases are on the rise. I believe leaders, both in government, our communities and business, have a chance to turn the tide in our fight against gender-based violence. When discussing health, most often mental health is left out of the equation. Currently, only 0,9% to 1,3% of our annual GDP goes to combating gender-based violence. As much as every clinic has a nurse, it should have mental health support structures that are professional and reliable that communities can access. The justice system also needs resources and skill to conduct quality investigations. This would bring integrity and respect for the victims and in turn restore the community's trust in the South African police services. Organizations such as Love Life used to bring so much positivity in young people's lives in terms of how they relate to one another, sexuality and being goal-orientated. As I speak, there is no organization there for young people to learn and express themselves in environments where they feel safe and liberated. It is the responsibility of the Department of Social Development to infiltrate these spaces and shape societies. People across all races have been known to draw principles, values and beliefs from culture and religion for decades. They also have these phenomena as a guide in their lives. I strongly believe the church and traditional leadership has a paramount part to play in resolving this matter. They need to take a strong stance against GBV and femicide and educate, enlighten their communities about the power they possess to control this narrative. Unfortunately, sometimes learning depends on who is teaching you. When the traditional council says it has zero tolerance against disrespecting elders, you know where exactly it stands, and there is no doubt about that. Same applies to some churches when coming to homosexuality and business when coming to theft. Thinking of these realities makes me realize that gender-based violence and femicide are not viewed with the same seriousness. Much of the blame is placed on police on how they approach gender-based violence and femicide. And I have to say, police are only the final hand in dealing with this matter. We as a society have a responsibility to protect, encourage each other, and most importantly, have measures that prevent gender-based violence. Thank you very much for listening. This brings us to the end of our podcast.